0: You're listening to Radio Iso, the podcast bringing you notes from isolation and stories about the people we're missing. I'm your host, Emily Sargent. Today I spoke to Jane, who's been a big issue vendor since 2003 and who can't wait to get back to the work and the community that she's missing.
1: working first at a yacht brokers and then I was working an accountant being trained up to be financial advisor um, and that was where I was going on the morning of my accident. I was actually going to work on the 1st day, April six mm. um, There was a fault on my motorbike it turns out uh, which caused it which, which took me onto the white line and there was a car coming the other way on the white line and we met in the middle and that was how come I ended up getting dragged down the car. I I was dead on the road, there was a doctor in the queue of traffic that I caused, plus an ambulance, uh, which it just sounds like I wasn't meant to go. It wasn't my time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I also ended up in a hospital where I ran the Hospital of Blood that morning, and there was only one doctor in the whole of the country that would have been prepared to try and save my leg. Um, Right, so I spent night, I spent a year, just every year in hospital, begin with having, um, I had 67 operations in total over the nine years. Um, nine years later, one of my screws backed out of the nail that was still left down the center of the bone graft. Um, and that led to me getting MRSA and I lost my leg, but that was the best thing that could have happened because during that time it it was almost like living with a cancer because I didn't want to live without my leg at Mm -hmm. the time. Um, but I spent a six months in hospital as a result of that, um, waiting for the leg to come off because it was like the infection. Um, and I'd also met a man who I eventually married. Um, and he, he was what got me through it. Um, it was like, I didn't think I was ever going, I was going to be on my own. And that was what the fear of losing my leg was, being on my own. Mm. Um, so I got rid of the leg and I started my life, and life was wonderful. I've never looked back since. I actually, I'm happy without my leg, because I'm free, I'm free of hospitals, my life started again, and I'm actually a lot happier as a person because of what I've been through, Um, just talking to people, um, in general, getting to know people, particularly elderly people, because they've got so much to tell you, Mm. and they've got so much knowledge, Um, It's unbelievable. you understand what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, They're the most interesting people I ever talked to and I still talk to. I love them to bits. They've got a whole life, a whole life sort of experience in them. Wonderful, wonderful people. Mm -hmm. And this is what people don't give them enough credit for. Yeah. You know, and, and if you sit and you listen to them, oh my God, they're amazing. During the, um, the in-and-out, the in-and-out, in-and-out hospitalisation and having a 67 operation for nine years, um, I was working, I went back to, I went back to work at my mum's school, sitting in the classroom, actually helping doing classroom aid work with disabled children. I never had any counselling to help me. I had to do it all myself. And I think that I'm glad I did it that way because being thrown in the deep end it's either like sink or swim. Yeah. And I was lucky I swung, yeah? And it it's also the thing that gets you through disability is the anger and the frustration. It makes you get so angry that it makes you find a way around things. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So when people ask me, you know, um because somebody in their family or a friend of theirs has recently disabled, I actually explain to them it's better not to do anything because Help somebody having to help themselves makes them find a way. I was a, I was often on anorexic before the accident, um, more with bulimia, um, and those thoughts have always been in my head since I was about five years old. Mm. But it also turns out um, I was sexually abused, and I had very repressed memories. Mm. Um, that happened to me when I was six years old with we one of my mums friends, boyfriends in the new forest. Um, I'd always had a feeling there was something wrong. and knew there was something wrong. Mum actually took me to the doctor when I, when I came back because I started having nervous habits. Mm. and became very withdrawn. But they just put it down to my age and growing and because of stuff But it wasn't that. Uh, so I've been in and out of hospital with anorexia um, three times. And both times, all times, I, I've kind of, I've run rings around them they haven't known how to deal with it mm. because the first time I was the first time I've unwrapped the case in there and I, I left there underweight but less than I was when I first went in but they weren't aware of that because I was drinking chunks of water and having um a leg brace on my I basically stripped the kitchen of um, her knives and put them all the way down my plaster card when I came out of here and my father my mum's new husband I wanted me to watch um, the disability program on Sunday, and I, I wasn't. I wasn't up for it. wasn't happy about it. And As a way of getting back at him, I picked up the local paper, looked for job interviews. I found one at the local council. I applied for it. Got an interview. Was given the job. <laughs> so it was like, wow. And that, you know, when I actually applied for it, I didn't tell him I was disabled. Mm-hmm. So that that was guys like, oh, right, okay, I got the job. And I was still in that hospital, have not told them this, Um, worked there for a year, ended up back in hospital with the anorexia and also um, with the the operations on my leg. Um, And that was when I was retired off the rest of my life.
0: How did it feel the moment that you had that news that you were not going to be able to work? Um, At the beginning, I thought, wow, so therefore I've got no
1: more worries about this and the other. Um, on the one hand, I, I thought that because obviously I'm somebody who's always been very, very independent and financially self-supporting. Mm. Um, so there was, there was that thought went to my mind. But the the next thing was, what am I going to do with myself day in, day out? Mm. People don't realise not not working every day is probably the worst thing that can happen to a person. Mm. You become isolated. You have no reason to exist. You have no reason to get up in the morning. Um, and you just end up very depressed, feeling of, of no self-worth. Um, what is your point in life? Um, and that's when I started to take overdoses because I didn't want to be around and I wasn't in a good way. I actually went down eventually to four and a half stone in wait, said there was a place for me. I think it was either in the I think it was the Royal Free at the time and it would have been put going into a unit which was a corridor full of gear plastic perspex um, cubicles. And I, w- I wasn't up for that, no way. So I turned down, but he gave me an assessment on me, my mum and my dad as a family. And it, it made me understand a little bit more um, about myself. My leg went wrong. I was in hospital um, because the screw had backed out. So this is nine years down the road. So they took the screw out. It resulted in an affair, and i would already met my husband then. Um, and the day, he, the day that he was actually in prison, he was on, he was on his toes when I met him. He hadn't told me, mm. um, and it was like the excitement. I think of somebody who, it was somebody attracted to me. He was a very good-looking man, um, and it was because he was exciting as part of real life. Because I'm not from any type of that background. It's like he was from one side of the tracks, and I was the other side. Mm. So, you know, we, we both had completely different backgrounds as far as the law was concerned. I was totally law-abiding. But he was exciting. Mm. Um, he supported me through the hospital. And the day that he came out of prison was the day I had my leg taken off. And he sat there with me, waiting for my leg to be taken off and didn't, didn't go out on the town, which is what most people do when they come out of prison. Mm. And he supported me right the way through. Um, I then found out that he had got himself onto heroin. Now this was about this was two or three months after my leg being taken off and me being home, living with him. So I locked him in the house and made him detox himself. And he did. Um, we then got married, I think it was a month later. Mm-hmm. And after we were married, I found out he was using again. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at this point, I, I actually sat there um, I remember crying because I didn't know anything about heroin. I, I, I was so naive. Mm. You know, to me, heroin was, you, you never came off it. It basically yeah. killed you. Yeah. And that mm. that was all I knew about it. Um, and I gave up and I just thought to myself, well, I either go back to the life I had before. I thought, oh, I, I'd take heroin with him. But I've got somebody with me. And I cried the day after I first took that heroin.
0: How did it feel the first time you took it?
1: um It was smoked on foil, and to be honest with you, where I'd been on a morphine trip six months previously. I didn't even feel it. <laughs> you know it, it's unbelievable. I did not feel it um and I smoked quite a bit that that first time. I ended up using on and off with him that he had a habit, but very soon um it was like using all the time with him um at this time, um to me, I was pregnant. Now, I've been told by the hospital that it's physically impossible for me to get pregnant. Um, and I was about five months pregnant before they found out, before we realized um, I had a habit. And I was too frightened to go to anybody to talk about it because I thought, I'd, I'd seen a program on television years before about a blind girl that had fought to keep her baby mm. uh, and through a disability. So I thought to myself, I've got one arm, one neck. I've got the husband I've got and I'm non heroin. there's no way I'm going to be allowed to keep this baby. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was something I wanted, and being told I couldn't have. I thought to myself, I'd actually convinced myself, I'm going to be able to detox myself. Um, I did try, and I tried to get Carl to stop using as well, you know, over those, those last few months of the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. But it didn't happen, and um, my baby was born Detoxing, and I never forgave myself for it. I was in social but he was never put onto any care orders. And then when um, it was time to come home, we had a we had the health worker to come in, and also child care, child, and um, so child services were involved, and they closed our case within a month because they said there was no reason for it. We weren't using. Now I found out afterwards that Carla came back to using again. Um, I saw not social services, and I said, look. You know, I told them the situation, I said, we're using, I said, I need my child put into care. Mm. This was when he was about, I think, three months old, To so three months old. And they said, this, thank you, Shane. They, they took the baby into care.
0: What did that moment feel like to make that phone call?
1: Um, I was cut off from my emotions. It was just, it had to be done because mm. the baby mattered. You know, I, I I was very upset, obviously. But I I cut myself off from it. It was because everybody been telling me that I wouldn't be able to look after the baby anyway. Mm-hmm. So I was finding it very, very hard to bond with the baby. It was just get the baby safe, you know. Mm-hmm. that was all it was about. It became very violent. Um, there was violence going on because every time my husband thought he was going to lose me, um, he, he couldn't cope before losing me because I have a very feisty nature and I'm very strong in my personality. And this would lead to arguments because I'd have enough of it and quite often it become violent.
0: So your relationship with your husband, when it became violent, did you did you stay together until he died?
1: No. It, we were together for um twenty I think mean, it was twenty twelve I left him. He um I always thought that because he, he just—it was like he pressed the button in me, and all the anger came up, and I'd fight back. He did he, stop, and I'd go for him. He was charged with attempted murder at one point, um, and I stayed with him because I realised that when he got out, he was going to—he'd he, never leave me. He, he would come for me, and he always said he would. Um, so I always went back to him, too frightened to leave him. Mm. Eventually, he spent the whole night um, trying to choke me, batter me. He pulled my hair out of my scalp. Um, he 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 just he basically had knives on top of me at the final bit. I spent the whole night fighting for my life, and it never got this bad. And he actually was going to kill me. But it, it was when he saw blood on his hands, I think it stopped him. Because it it, it kind of triggered, you know, I tried saying, I love you, I tried everything. I can remember looking in his eyes and begging and pleading for my life. Um, And he's trying to get me to touch the knife. So it looked like self-defense. At that point, it stopped. It eventually stopped. And he suggested, you know, we went to bed. So I, I thought, right, go to bed. Um... Because I was too frightened to do anything else, so I went to bed with him, you know. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to think what on earth I'm going to do, because no matter where I went, what I did, being disabled like I am, he was always able to find me. Oh. I came back, so I left my dog here. It was our dog, but I couldn't leave the dog. Oh. And I came in the house. Uh, I judged his mood, and it, it seemed to be all right. I've suggested I'm gonna go and take the dog out for a walk. He's kind of looked at me and I said, No, no, I'm just taking the dog out for a walk, you know, because the I haven't been out for a walk and I started to go and he said, oh, I'll come with you and at that point I'm outside the door, my neighbour's there. And I've I've in desperation I, I've i tried I I've I've started telling the neighbour about what happened the night before. And the neighbour turned around and said, You thought you were having kinky sex <laughs> You know, Carl sort of said you know, laughed it off and everything, and said I'll take the notes to Jane. You know, she she she's just not thinking straight. Um, and at that point, I I just ran. I, I literally I went as fast as I could. Even I'm in a wheelchair. I just took that opportunity and I legged it out of there. Um, I didn't know where I was going. I had I only had the clothes on my back. I just legged it and I sat in the local cemetery. And it turned out I didn't know this, but two girls I was on the street with homeless. They'd literally just um been given a flat in the blocks that overlooked the cemetery, and one of them walked past me and she said, "I had to go with me and she said, "James so what are you doing there? and i I just all came out, and I mm-hmm. said, "You know, I'm back on the street, even though it was my tenancy, I wasn't going back Later mm-hmm. um, they, so they said, "'Well, come, no, you can't be on the street. come and stay with us Jane." so I stayed there at that point i was my mum came up. I told her that she took me straight to the courts the next day. And that was when I got an emergency injunction on him. Um, and I did it all without a solicitor. And I went down the civil route. So people don't realise with domestic violence, when you call, this is important, because I didn't know this at the time. When you call the police out when you're having domestic violence, you're automatically taken down the criminal route. And you've got less than a 30% chance of winning if you go down the criminal route with domestic violence, because um, it has to be proved beyond reasonable doubts. And it's all behind closed doors. So the person that's actually been guilty of the violence tends to get away with it. And I went down the civil route. And when you go down the civil route, they take the whole thing into, into um, consideration. And you've got more chance of getting an online station order than not getting it. And also finding them guilty of the breach. And once that happens, you've got the person, and you get you, you can become safe. And it's about it, it's about getting that first guilty. Mm. Once you have got it the first time, you feel like you're empowered. Um, when, when people say to you, "Oh, just move," you're basically you're the victim again because you're running. Mm. And it's it's not good. You know, it's about turning your mindset around.
0: And how did it feel that first night that you were able to go and stay with the other two friends? Oh wow, it was just such a relief. I felt safe. I felt mm-hmm. safe. I actually slept. And I
1: felt safe. Oh, I've never felt so, so happy. I, 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 I still feel proud of it today, yeah. when you hear it my voice. I'm so proud of the fact that I did it, and I did it all myself. Yeah. You know, and doing that and having that happen... It made me feel like I'd beaten him. Mm. And to have finally beaten him meant that I was in control of my life again.
0: And were you at this point working for the big issue?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been working for them, God, since 2003. No, just before 2003. And the work was the only thing, work well, was the only thing that actually kept me together. Mm. You know, after a beating or after something, going to work was the one thing that kept me going. Because I'd go to work and I was in a different world. Mm. I was where people liked me. I was around my friends. I was doing something I wanted to do. And that was the only thing that kept me together during that time. Even the big issues supported me through it. The people I come into contact with, I, I class them as, as friends mm. because, you know... I've I've never kept anything secret about my background, my past. Mm. I've always I've always been very open about that. I've have drug have problems. Um, that I've lost my children, and then I got my children back. You know, my husband and everything. They've they've kept me going. Um, there's 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 one gentleman who's taken me out to lunch. and went to a restaurant. Um, he's, he's retired, but he's a lovely gentleman. He counts he me as one of his friends. He actually tells people. And he comes and finds because he regularly buys me a coffee and he comes and chats to me and he said, you know, I have known Jane for a long time, he said she's a lovely woman. She's such a nice lady, he says. I have I've got another family that um once here I either get invited for a Christmas dinner, sort of a good Christmas meal, mm-hmm. or I get invited around for Easter for dinner. I've had people I've had another customer who's invited me out to house for an evening meal. Um, I'm giving clothes people really care about me Mm. you know it's lovely it really is it's what's given me my confidence being doing the big issue has made me feel light it's given me that feeling of self-worth it's kept me going there's nothing else for me in life
0: Mm.
1: you know it is the big issue i love the big issue that much
0: and so how has it felt for you in this period to not have that Contact with Um, those people.
1: It's been very difficult, to be honest with you. Um, I'm basically just about keeping it together. I've nearly walked out once or twice, Um, but at the moment, I'm supporting and helping a young lad get himself through drugs. Um, I I knew him beforehand, and he's opened up to me.
0: Do you find it helpful to, to know that you're, you know, that he's reliant on you and that you're making a difference?
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, that helps me. Yeah. So in a way, that is a godsend Yeah. Um, for me and for him. You see what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I always say that somebody helped me, you see. Somebody gave me that chance when I was on the street. Mm. And for someone, I, I feel that it, it was that one chance that gave me, that means that I'm here, where I am today. Yeah.
0: Mm.
1: And everybody needs that one chance. And that that that's what's important. To just be given that one that, that one person put their hand out to you to help you. If you're willing to take it, then you can help yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's about helping each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Who was the person then that you would credit with giving you your chance?
1: Um, it was somebody that was on the street years ago, and he started living with this lady. And they used to let me go and stay there occasionally, mm. and it kept my head together when I was running from you know the you know the stress on the street and everything. And it was also the big issue, you know. They gave me the chance to work, mm. and it was the people that that sort of spoke, you know that bought the papers off me. That you know, it's, it's everybody gave me those chances, yeah. even though I was the one that went and helped myself. Yeah. So it, it's it's a lot of little things.
0: How much do you credit yourself for everything that you've done and achieved and, and made it through? Um, I know that I I, I do now realise that much of it is
1: me because I was prepared to stick it out and see it through. Um, the first day that I was working, then the issue, I was actually sick from drugs. And I stood there and I sold those papers. I went and bought more, bought more papers, still sick. And I went back and I saw it through and mm. I kept going with it and got myself sorted out and came off it all, you know. Mm. So yes, that's why. So I, I I stuck it out and I've stuck mm. it out since. And I found myself a pitch that I go back to day by day, day, day after day. Yeah. And I put the money that I've made back into the papers So I'm running a business now and I know that it's me going back there again and again and again that has actually got me where I am. Mm -hmm. If I hadn't stuck the big issue out and gone and done it, there's a lot of other things I could have done. But because I did the big issue um, and kept doing it, Mm -hmm. I've built myself up relations back in the community. I'm actually happier. I'm the happiest I've ever been in life. (laughs) <laughs> you know, to be honest with you, mm. I've never I'm felt so happy and fulfilled. To the point where I don't even feel like I need a, a relationship. Yeah, I'm happy with my job, my dog, my home, and my customers. And you know, it's absolutely wonderful. It, it, it's it's the challenge of going out there. it's being outside for one. It's having having a job and knowing that. My life depends, and everything about me depends on my ability to sell those papers, and I can do that. So I have to be regular. So I I enjoy seeing my customers. I enjoy the conversations. Um, I I love being around people, and I love talking to people. Some are friends, some are acquaintances, yeah, mm. but it's seeing them, and it's being part of their lives, and it, it's knowing that. Um, with some of the very isolated people, the elderly people. I've actually had, on one, one or two occasions, um, an elderly person's died. And I've had a member of their family that's been their son or daughter. They've come and found me and they've said thank you, because I've been the only person in their life, in their parents' life. And their parents have actually said this to them, and told them, that, you know, that they know me and they, they come and see me. And they they make a point of coming to see me, you know, because I'll I'll have a chat with them, and I'm smiling at them, and you know, it's suddenly pleased to see them. Mm. But on the other hand, it works it it works that way for me as well. It makes me feel good that they're pleased to see me, and they mm. feel this way about me. So it's a two way thing,
0: mm. yeah.
1: Mm. I was even left in one person's will.
0: <laughs> wow. That
1: was how much they thought of me, yeah.
0: That's amazing. Lovely,
1: isn't it? Yeah. That, that really, you know, that, that, that just says it all. And I, I would probably really wouldn't survive if it hadn't been for the big issue, to be honest with you.
0: What do you think it's going to feel like for you, in that case, to go back to work? How do you think that day will feel? Oh, amazing. <laughs> absolutely wonderful. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. I can remember when, uh,
1: Ben, the, the, the man that I get my papers from in Waterloo, when he said to me, there's no more big issues, it was like the bottom fell out of my world. Mm. And I just went cold. Because I've always thought, oh my God, what am I going to do with The big issue? Suddenly stops. And it was like, was he, he the, the way he put it was, he said, there's no more big issues, Jane. What? You know. Mm. And I thought, what am I going to do? You know, absolute feeling of panic and terror, to be honest with you. The thought of having no job and nothing to do again. The Boston did fall out, out of my world again. Mm. But then I phoned him back, and I, I said, "What well, are you meaning forever? He said, oh, no, 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 not forever, Jane. He said, you know, but they they will be printing again at some time. Well, that, that's what I take. <laughs> that's the way I'm looking at it anyway. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, I can't see that because you're not being there. But, yeah. oh, well, it'll be the, another day of celebration when they start printing again and I go back to work. I will be so happy, you know. It will just make my day, It'll make my day again when I can get those papers and go back. Mm. It'll be wonderful, wonderful, wonderful.
0: like to tell us about someone you're missing, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at radioisopodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at radioisopod.